Well, good morning. Um, I invite you to do two things um, to start off. One, open up your Bible to Philippians chapter 1, and we are going to look at Philippians verses 1 through 11. So that's item number one. Item number two, um, if you would just spend a little bit of time um, considering how Christ has been at work in your heart in the last week or several weeks. How have you um, seen or felt Christ at work in your heart in the last weeks? Um, and so if you could just have that thought kind of in mind uh, throughout, the, um, throughout what we're going to look at, and particularly as we get to the end, uh, the end of the passage that we want to consider today. I had shared a couple weeks back how that for some reason I've been drawn to Philippians over the last uh, two months. And so um, I'm I'm going to start preaching through it. I don't know if we'll go through all of it or not, but today I want to start that process. So I do want to just give a little bit of background to the book and then look at um, verses 1 through 11. So the church at Philippi um, was the first church that was founded in Europe. Um, and I, of course, I find this interesting where it was at, modern day Greece, um, over in the, the area near Bulgaria. And the way the church started, Paul was intent to go to Asia, and it says that God um, forbid him or didn't let him go. And in the process, he saw a vision um, from Macedonia saying, come, come preach to us. So he went to the, um, to the city of Philippi, and when they got there, it says that they found Lydia and a group of, of people outside the city praying. Some people would speculate that in the Roman, at that time, they had religious freedom, but if it wasn't a, a state-sanctioned meeting, they had to go outside of the city so I don't know if that's why they met out by the river or not. It could have, could have been. So they went out there, and Lydia comes to know the Lord, and they spend time in the city, and a demon-possessed girl follows them. They free her of that, and it turns the city into a riot, and they land in jail. Um, and that was already referenced this morning where uh, I think in, well, I was setting up for this, and it was referenced in the ladies' Sunday school. So I don't always know what's talked about in the ladies' Sunday school. But Paul and Silas land in jail, and during the night they're praising God, and there's an earthquake, and so then the jailer's family becomes a believer. So you have Lydia, we don't know who all else, you have the slave girl, and you have the jailer's family, and out of this, a church is formed. Um, I, and again, I don't know for sure, but scholars would think that Luke was with Paul and Silas, and he was from Philippi, and they would have left Luke there to help the church out. And so the church starts growing. Paul came back at least one other time and spent several months there. Um, and so then now he's writing the book of Philippians to them, and it's about 12 years after the church started. So if you can imagine, about 12 years later, Paul is writing. And Paul is probably in Rome under house arrest. So he's there. Um, he's chained. He's, he is in a house that he himself has to rent. He's chained uh, to a guard or two. And um, part of what made all the book of Philippians brought it to be is that um, the Philippians heard about him and they wondered how he was doing. And so they took one of their pastors and they sent him there with a gift to help him out because even though he was in prison, again, Paul had to pay for his own house. And so they, they were bringing him this gift. And if you look at a map, getting from Philippi to Rome was a big deal in that day. And so they sent um, Epaphroditus to check how he was and, and bring a gift. So that's, that's all of the background here um, to the book. And the letter is just, it's very encouraging and, and very affectionate. Um, and it's kind of imagined that Paul is writing a letter to let them know how he's doing, 
to this church that has supported him for about a dozen years. And so it's kind of a missionary update and a personal letter that he's sending back. Um, there's a lot of different themes that we could pull out of the book. One is definitely the theme of having joy and rejoicing in all circumstances. And the other just again and again shows how Christ is at work in our lives and how that works out in our day-to-day life. And so that was the, uh, the reason for the second question. Be thinking about how Christ has been at work in you. So with all of that background, um, let's, let's go into Philippians. We're going to look at, at verses 1 through 11 um, today. Follow along. I'll read through it and then and come back to the start. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So I want to go back to the start and just just several comments here. Obviously, Paul's identifying himself. It was written with Timothy. And it always stands out to me how Paul introduces himself just the idea of a servant or a slave. And then he says to all the saints, and the word saint literally is just to all of those who are set apart and who are holy um, following God. So a question for you, um, how do you feel when you get publicly recognized, uh, somebody gives you a compliment in public or speaks words of affection to you in public? Um, Some people probably love that, and some people probably get extremely uncomfortable when that happens. So I'm curious where you fall on that spectrum. But regardless of that, um, just look at the words that Paul uses. I want to just notice how he, how he actually feels about this church and what he's saying about them. Um, so that's the first thing I want us to notice through verses 3 through 8 is Paul, what he, yeah, how he's expressing his feelings about the church. The first thing is in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. So it's just like if he thinks about them, it's, he's just thanking God for them. Um, that's his first reaction. Then the second one is in verse 4, in every prayer, he's praying with joy. So he's saying, whenever I think about you, I'm thankful. And every time I pray, I'm full of joy. And then he goes on to say, I hold you in my heart. And just the idea that he, he loved these people. He held them in his heart. Um, he cared about them. He just, he had them there in his heart where he, um, he just, he loved the church. Then he says, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So can you imagine if you are a church that Paul established about 10 years earlier, he's in prison, you're checking how he's doing, and this is what he's telling you back. Look, this is how I feel about you. Um, these are the four things that, that I feel about you. And I was thinking about um, all of these, but particularly the end here where it talks about yearning for somebody with the affection of the gospel. 
Paul was in prison and he didn't know if he was going to be executed or not. And so imagine if he's thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to see these people again, but I just, I want to see them. And that would describe um, a bit of what he was feeling. Um, an example of that today, and I don't know who all follows this, um, it would be worth, I think it'd be well worth your time to follow it. This is a pastor um, in China. His name is Wang Yai. And back in October, um, he thought that he would probably be arrested. And so he wrote a letter and asked his church to hold on to it and then publish it 48 hours after his arrest. Um, and he called the paper that he wrote Faithful Disobedience. Um, and again, I, I highly recommend taking the time to find it and read his letter. And so sure enough, I think it went until about December um, before he was arrested. And the authorities came in and they actually arrested 100 people out of the church, just trying to, I mean, really disrupt and shut things down. I think out of that, about 10 were detained, including him and his wife. His wife was just released, um, but he still, at this point, is still in prison. So I was thinking about that situation and how he probably just longs to see his church and find out how they're doing and, and vice versa. Um, so anyway, let's, let's pray for him as he comes to mind, but it's an example of what, of what Paul was probably feeling. All right, so I, Paul is expressing how he feels, um, and it almost sounds like a Hallmark card, doesn't it? Like, I, think, I thank God every time I think about you. I pray for you with joy. So I wonder why, what allowed Paul to feel this way? And so I do want to share five things that the texts show us that made that possible, and, and I think that also um, point out what brings about this type of fellowship in a church. Um, so what are the things that allowed Paul um, to feel that way? So the first thing is in verse 5, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul was there right at the start, he knew how, how they responded to the gospel, but throughout the last 10 to 12 years, this church had, had taken offerings for him, and had given him gifts. And if you think about it in, in the book of Corinthians, he says that I never took anything from you. And the reason I didn't is because there was a churches in Macedonia supporting me. And so the church in Philippi would have been one of, one of the churches that just partnered with him. Um, and you know how you can just connect with somebody when you know that they are a believer? Has anybody ever had that experience? You just you meet somebody and you just know without a doubt that there, there is a partnership there because you both have experienced the gospel. Um, when I took pottery classes, I was sitting in a room of about, I don't know, there was 10, 10, 12 people. And this husband and wife walked in. And before they said anything, I was just like, these people are believers. It just, it just seemed like they were and got to know them. And yes, wonderful couple, um, love the Lord. And they, passed, they pastor a little Baptist church just down the street from Choice Books. But it was just an instant um, where you just know that there's a partnership in the gospel. So when it comes to a church having that fellowship and why Paul felt that way, the first thing was the partnership in the gospel. The second is just his confidence that God was going to continue working in their heart. Um, when we see God at work in somebody's life, it makes us care for that person. And that's one of the things that I want to keep in mind is just as we relate to each other, I want to notice God at work in your life, and hopefully you can notice God's work in my life, and that brings a real care for each other. So the first one was a partnership in the gospel. Number two was a confidence in God's work. 
And then the third was just a choice to love them. Paul held them in his heart. So that, that to me is just a choice to care about them. Uh, then the fourth thing, he said, you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So if we experience God's enabling grace together, that brings about um, this fellowship. So God had, um, Paul had experienced them, um, experiencing God's grace and then sharing God's grace with them, with him. And it talks about an imprisonment. And when you, when somebody helps me walk through a hard time or if I help somebody else walk through a hard time, there is a, a fellowship or a friendship that develops out of that. And so this church had stuck with Paul through him going to prison. And then it goes on to say the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The defense has the idea of an attack from um, outside. And so, I mean, as a church, let's remember that, that the gospel is under attack from outside. And then in the confirmation, and that has the idea of just working for growth um, internally. So that was one of the things that allowed Paul to speak this way um, about them. And then the last one, um, where he talks about he had the affection of, of Christ Jesus. And so number five is just allowing God's love for others to fill our hearts. So that's, um, we're looking at, we looked at how Paul felt and why Paul felt that way. And, and now I'd like to just transition into a statement that he makes about the church that is true of each of us here and then what he prayed for them, um, just as the main, our main takeaways for today. So the statement that I'd like us to notice is in verse 6. So he's, he's talking about the church, how he feels, why he felt that way. But in verse 6 he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so I hope, I hope you can just hear a reminder today that that is true for each of us that have begun following Christ and Christ has, worked, has begun his work in us. So he says he's sure of this and it's the idea of an ongoing confidence. And you know what, at the end of this chapter, Paul tells us that this church was facing suffering, it says that in verse 29. In verse 30, he says, you know what, you guys are facing conflict. But in spite of all of that, Paul could say with 100% confidence that God is going to bring the work to completion in their lives. So I just want to, um, I know that this is a verse we hear, we probably, again, it maybe is a verse that we post around, but... Let's just think about what he's actually saying. Um, in the start of the verse, he says that it is God who began the good work in us. And that's something that I have to keep in mind that I was literally dead in sin. And it is God who begins the work in us as believers. God pursues us. God makes us alive again. So God is the one that began the, good, uh, began the work. As you look back on your life where you see Christ working, be reminded that it is a good work. The work that God is doing in us is a good work. We're being transformed into the image of His Son. It's a sanctifying work and a cleansing work. Um, it's in you. So God is at work in your heart. Um, and I would love to just hit pause and hear, you know, hear how all you have seen and felt God at work in you. But let's not forget that Christ started the work and He is at work in us right now. He's at work in us in the normal Every day, um, you know, whatever you face this week, whatever you've come through, he's working in your heart. And then the promise in this is that he will bring it to completion. And the idea is that it will be 
executed, like if, it's a, if it was a contract that was put in place, that God is going to bring it all the way through until it actually happens. So he's the one at work in us, and he will bring it to completion. I had to think, um, I don't know if anybody else is like me or not, but when I drive by construction projects, for some reason, I just can't wait till they're done. And so Route 28 is like that. You know, you drive on that road and you wonder, did anything change since I came through here last? I wonder when it will finally wrap up. Um, And imagine if they would just stop that construction project right now and just, just never finish, how discouraging that would be. And God is saying that he doesn't just stop, that he does bring it through um, to completion. You know, another example I thought of of, of stopping a project, um, I don't know who all noticed for, for years when you drive on the 234 bypass, this big half-done steel frame building that sat there for years. It was going to be like a $300 million pharmaceutical company project, and they started, and then they just they stopped and said they weren't going to finish it. So then another company bought it, and the last I heard, it was, I think it was demolished in about 2014. Does that sound right, Dave? So you started out on this $300 million project. You had this big steel frame that you would drive by, and nothing was happening for, for years. And God says when it comes to our hearts, that does not happen. If we continue to allow him to work, he brings it to completion. Whatever he has for us, he will complete it um, at the day of Jesus Christ. So I just want you to be encouraged that God is at work in you. He is doing a good work, and it will be brought to completion um, at the day of Christ. So let's be be grateful and thankful for what God is doing and that he will bring it to um, to pass. I want to just um, remind you of a couple of other verses that speak to this promise um, that God does continue to work in us. Psalm 57, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. So I don't know what what it is that you're facing this week, but be encouraged that God who started the work will fulfill his purpose and bring it to completion. 1 Corinthians also references this. I will read verses 7 and 8. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he promises to sustain, and that that word has the idea of making you stable. Um, So God will make you stable to the end. Um, Going back to Sunday school last week, The end of that passage says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So we can trust that God is faithful, and he will bring this work um, to completion. He'll carry it to the very end. So Paul said this about them, and I'm saying this is true of us if we're in Christ. He said that this, he was absolutely convinced of this, but yet he ends this passage with this prayer of, of, that God would cause them to grow. So I want to look at that prayer, um, and I think that this is, this is true of us, that God will finish the work, but then the prayer, I think, teaches us how God um, works in our heart, one of the ways that God works in our heart. 
So let's read verses 9 through 11, and, and again, just understanding how does God do this good work. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So God is going to do this, but Paul is praying, and he says, I pray that your love that they already had was going to abound more and more. And it, it literally just has the idea of, of a bucket that's full of water, and it's just, it's just continually overflowing. And so Paul is asking that their love grows, and then it lists three things that will happen if that's true of us. If our love grows, then he says three things that will, that will come out of that. So when he talks about our love growing, um, I want you to think about our love for God and also our love for other people, and that that is often the main thing that God brings us back to, is loving Him with all our heart and loving other people um, as ourselves. So God tells us that love is the primary issue. I had to think of our um, small group as going through the book, um, You Are What You Love, and how that our loves really do well, they both reveal where we're at, but it also shapes um, where we're headed. So I had to think of that, that phrase, you are what you love. So God, the prayer is that we grow, um, grow more and more in love. And then he also says that this love is to grow in knowledge and discernment. Um, so the idea of knowledge just, um, it's not a blind love. And we are to grow in knowledge of God and of His ways. And one of the things I was thinking about is if, if you love something, you want to know more about it. It just, it just comes naturally. And you almost have to know something about something or someone to love them. If you were walking around in the grocery store and a complete stranger came up to you and said, I am so glad to meet you, I love you like crazy. I understand you would probably want to turn around and run the other way, but you would say, that is completely impossible, right? I mean, you don't know the first thing about me. How can you insist that you love me? You don't even, you don't, there's no context here. And so what I'm saying is that to love somebody, we have to know about them. And as we love God more and more, then we can grow in our knowledge of him. And if we truly love him, we will have a desire to grow um, in knowledge and about him. So it's not only just knowing about something, but it's also a discernment. So love that is built on knowledge and discernment. And one of the things that, that I think about as you hear about love today, it's kind of the idea of, of accepting somebody without any discernment, and that's the definition of love. And that's not the picture of love that God paints um, here. It's, we, love some, we love, but it's based on knowledge and discernment. So if we're growing these things, here are the results. Um, the first thing he says is that you may approve what is excellent. And I'm fascinated with the idea that as we grow in love, that helps us approve what is excellent. Um, and so if you think about approving, it means just to test something and, and to know, is this excellent or is it not? And so maybe right or wrong may feel kind of easy sometimes to, to tell apart, but how do we know what is excellent? Does that define our life, that we approve what is excellent? And I think if that's going to be true of us, it's as we love God more, God helps us to approve the things that are excellent and to test the things that are excellent. 
Um, Hebrews 5 um, also references this idea. I won't read all of it, but just uh, verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And so we grow um, in what we're able to handle. It's talking about the solid food or, or learning more about God. Discernment is necessary, and that happens by constantly practicing. So if we're going to have good discernment, it does come back to what I love, and then God is going to help me to discern um, what is excellent. So for the children, um, I have up here, I've got a little half dollar that's worth 50 cents. I don't know if any of you have these at home in your, in your piggy bank. And then I also have up here a coin that is an ounce of silver. So one is worth 50 cents, and the other one, the last time I looked, was worth about $14. And so when you think about approving what is excellent, wouldn't you rather look at these and take the $14 coin instead of the 50-cent coin? And so what God is saying is that as we grow to love him more, he will help us discern that this might be good, but that's not really what God wants. God wants excellent, and that's what I'm going to, to approve or allow into my life is the excellent things. Um, so it's very important that we grow to love God more and more. And if any of you children want to see a, an ounce of silver, you're welcome to see me afterwards. I'll be glad to show that to you. So isn't it interesting that our discernment actually grows out of what we love? For some reason, I, I can't get over that and... I feel like that is something that I'm not even scratching the surface on and, and want to grow in and learn more about. Um, 1 Thessalonians talks about this idea of... Actually, let's just go back here to that. I'll, I'll reference 1 Thessalonians in just a bit. So the first thing he does, um, he says that'll happen. We can prove what's excellent. And then the other result is that we will be pure and blameless. So as we do that, we will be pure and blameless. And, and the word pure has the idea of if the sunlight is just shining on something, there's, nothing, there's no faults revealed. And so as we love God and approve what's excellent, um, we will be pure with no faults. And blameless is the idea of just not stumbling, either ourselves or causing somebody else to stumble. Then he goes on to say that another result is we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the, the fruit of the Spirit and God's fruit will just will come out of our life as we love God more and approve what's excellent. Then the last thing that will happen is our life will um, result in glory and praise to God. So I want, I want these results, but it comes about through God growing love for Him and love for other people in my heart. The verse in, uh, verses in 1 Thessalonians also talk about um, how what we love shape us. And this is interesting because this is talking about other people. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. So again, just the idea that we grow in love and that we will be established blameless at the coming um, when Christ comes again. <clears throat> and the word established um, talks about 
actually taking in which direction we're turned, that our hearts are actually set the right direction without moving, um, that he can establish us blameless in holiness before our God and Father. So just wrapping up, uh, looking at, at these verses, again, want to bring us back to the things that are true of each of us that are in Christ. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So that's the work that God is doing. How does this happen? Again, is in the prayer. Um, the prayer was that love would abound more and more with knowledge and with discernment. And the fruit in our life is that we can approve what is excellent, that we can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness, and that our life can bring glory and praise to God. Um, I do want to just open it up a little bit. If you have something that stood out to you, and I know that I did not talk about um, in a great detail the whole thing of how what we love um, allows all of this to happen, but I'd be curious if something stood out to you in the verses um, that we covered in Philippians, um, or specifically that concept, um, and then I would like to just close in prayer. But anything that stood out to you in these verses or in the concept of what, what we love... Um, shaping us. We can have a very short Sunday school. So God will perform the work that he started if we're faithful to him. And that, that is a concept that comes out again and again in the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, it talks about God is at work in you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So absolute confidence in God, and then we need to surrender to his work and allow it to continue. Yep, thank you for that. It's not the full work or allowing it to continue um, to develop, but just stopping. All right, thank you for your attention. If you would just stand, um, I will close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. God, thank you uh, that in your grace you began a good work in us, um, and you have have redeemed us when we were yet dead in sin. Um, God, thank you that you will uh, work in our lives um, throughout our whole life, and you do promise that it will be brought to completion at the day of Christ. God, I just pray for each of us here um, that, you, that we would have soft hearts and allow you to do that work. Um, God, whatever it is, we want to say yes to you. We want to be shaped by you. Um, Lord, your word, uh, again and again, you... You ask us to grow in love. Um, God, I don't understand how all of that works, but I do ask, God, for each of us here that we would grow in our love for you. We would grow in our love for other people. Um, Father, and then the things that, are, that the passage ends with, that would be true in us. God, help us to approve what is excellent this week. If there's places that we want to settle down and approve things that are not excellent, God, would you, um, would you convict us of that and would you move us on from that? Um, we want to approve what you approve and what pleases you. Um, God, go with us this week, protect us, and uh, may we live for your honor and your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.